Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. This is what God's Word states. It says, Now I, Apostle Paul, exhort you, right, the Corinthian church, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no, no one would say that you were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would be, not be made void. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. God, first of all, we want to thank you for loving us. Thank you for demonstrating your love for us by sending your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, Lord. Even as your word states, God, while we were still sinners, yet you died for us because you love us. We thank you for that. Because of you, Lord, we are here with, with just a living hope, God, and joy, God. And Father, I lift up a special prayer for our members here in the church here at Rooftop, those that are present, those that are not able to uh, be with us this afternoon, we pray that you would bless them, that you would fill them with your love and your joy, fill them with your peace and comfort, that you provide for them in every way that they will never lack anything, God, to live for you and honor you. And God, as we go through your word this afternoon, we just simply pray that you would speak to us, convey the message that each of us need to hear today. So Holy Spirit, will you take over and will you speak to each of us? We thank you, we give you glory in Jesus and we pray. Amen. For those of you that were not present here last week, um, you know, we started a new series on the book of 1 Corinthians. And so before I get into today's passage, you know, for the sake of those that weren't here last week, I would like to provide you a brief kind of recap of the background and context of the church in Corinth or kind of the background, the context of this letter of 1 Corinthians. Right? First off, the author is who? The author of this letter is Apostle Paul. Right? The audience or the recipient of this letter is no other than the church in Corinth. And I think it's important for us to know and keep in mind that Apostle Paul is talking to, he's writing to believers, those who profess Jesus to be the Lord. And he's not writing to unbelievers here. And when we read chapter 18 of Acts, we know that Apostle Paul has spent a year and a half in the city of Corinth speaking and teaching the word of God. And from this resulted the church plant in the city of Corinth. And after Paul spends a year and a half teaching the word of God to the people in the city of Corinth, he sets off to the city of Ephesus. And we find out towards the, later, towards the end of this letter on chapter 16, to be more specific, that Apostle Paul is actually writing the letter of 1 Corinthians in the city of Ephesus. But the question is, why does Paul write this letter of 1 Corinthians? Right? Why does he spend the time to write this letter to the church in Corinth? 
And to answer that question, Apostle Paul writes the letter of 1 Corinthians in response to reports that he has received regarding the church in Corinth. You see, the report, it contained, you know, some questions that they had in regards to certain topics such as marriage, you know, meat sacrifice to idols, what do we do then, as well as spiritual gifts in the church. So in this letter, Apostle Paul addresses those questions. But Apostle Paul also receives another report. And the other report is about the condition of the church. And according to this report, this church is not doing so well. They're plagued by all kinds of concerning issues and problems. Just to name some, you know, one is, you know, there was sexual immorality taking place in the church. Another is that there was chaotic, disorderly service taking place in their gatherings. People were being selfish. People were, you know, being inconsiderate of others. And as we briefly learned last week, there was a wrong view and understanding of the resurrection. Which again, Pastor Scott shared with us, that might be one of the reasons why they're having so many issues in the church. But when we read the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter of 1 Corinthians, we find that the core issue or problem in the Corinthian church, and which I believe is what motivated Apostle Paul to write this letter to them, was the fact that the Corinthian believers were not living in the light of their new identity in Christ. Why does Paul write this letter? It's because he's hearing reports that they're not living in the light of their new identity in Christ. As those who call themselves sons and daughters, as those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, those who have been saved by the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, they were still acting and living in a way, quote unquote, that was still worldly and fleshly. Very similar to the way of life they may have been living prior to, to their faith in Jesus Christ. And you see, I find no coincidence that Apostle Paul opens up this letter by first bringing to attention to the believers in Corinth about their new identity in Christ. And we find this in chapter 1, verse 2. Let me read it for you. Apostle Paul says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. We, we see the description of the church, all right? They're the church in Corinth. Again, they're professing believers. They're the ones who have been sanctified by Jesus Christ, the truth. They're the ones who are now called saints. They're the ones who belong to Jesus Christ and who call on the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. This is their identity. And he opens up this letter this way. And so what does Apostle Paul do? He addresses these issues and concerns that he's hearing in this letter to the Corinthian believers. And the way that Apostle Paul addresses these issues and and these concerns is by or through the lens of the gospel. What do I mean by that? It means that Jesus and the gospel was to be central in influencing how believers live their lives as individual Christians, but also corporately as a body of Christ or as a church. And the first issue that Apostle Paul brings to attention is found in our passage today in verses 10 through 11. Follow along as I read for you one more time, verses 10 through 11. He says this, he says, Now I exhort you, brethren... By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ said, all you or do you all agree 
and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment, or this word judgment can be uh, translated also as purpose. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. You see, Apostle Paul hears from Chloe's people that there's division and there's quarreling going on or taking place in this Corinthian church. You see, we may not know too much about who Chloe and who Chloe's people are, but one thing that we can gather from this letter is simply this, that Chloe is credible enough for Apostle Paul to mention her in his letter and credible enough for the Corinthian church to understand or to know who she is. And according to her report, we find what? That there's discord, that there's disharmony, that there's conflicts, that there are broken relationships that are taking place in the church of Corinth. And when we read chapter 3 of verse 3 in 1 Corinthians, we find Paul going as far as stating that their division, that their quarreling is not a characteristic of those who belong to Jesus Christ. Again, let me say that one more time. Their division, their quarreling is not a characteristic of those who belong to Jesus. But rather he states that it's more fleshly. And what he means, what he means by that is that it, it characterizes actually those who, do, who don't belong to Jesus Christ. So what does Apostle Paul do? We read in verse 10, he exhorts them. He urges them. He appeals to them firmly but also lovingly as a fellow brother in the family of God by the name and authority of Jesus Christ to do what? To get rid of, to abolish divisions and be united as a church. There are a couple of things I want to mention. There are a couple of things I want to highlight here. Number one and the first is this. Apostle Paul is again reminding them, the Corinthian church, of their fellowship they have with Jesus Christ, as mentioned in verse 9. Chapter 1, verse 9, Paul said, Apostle Paul says this, he says, God is faithful through whom you have been called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What does this mean for them? What does this mean for us? In being in fellowship with Jesus Christ also meant that they were called into fellowship and loving fellowship with one another. They were to be united in loving one another, not divided. This also meant, church, that being in fellowship with Jesus was also calling them to be under the lordship of Christ, to submit under the will and the way of Jesus and his word. But we see in 1 Corinthians, evidently, what? They're not following this. They're not living according to this way. This is not the case in the church of Corinth. So that's number one. He's reminding them again of their fellowship in Jesus Christ. Number two is secondly, and it's very critical that we highlight this. This is the 10th time in 10 verses of 1 Corinthians that Apostle Paul makes a reference to Jesus Christ. If you were to read chapter 1 from verse 1 all the way to verse 10, in each verse you will see Apostle Paul mentioning and referring Jesus Christ. I don't think this is a coincidence, church. I think there's a reason, that there's a purpose behind why he does this. So secondly, again, he highlights Jesus in this letter. Thirdly, Apostle Paul, when he's calling them to agree 
and to be of the same mind and judgment or purpose. He wasn't calling the church in Corinth into uniformity. What do I mean by that? He's not calling them, hey, you need to like the same thing and you need to all agree on everything. I know that some of you love In-N-Out. How many guys love In-N-Out? Raise your hand. Don't throw stones at me, but I'm not a big fan of In-N-Out. Okay? I don't really crave In-N-Out. The only time I ever craved In-N-Out was after I came back from Japan. I don't know why. Maybe it was American in me. I needed a burger. You know? I ate a lot of Asian food in Japan. I loved it. It was so great, right? But I came home, and I was like, Deb, let's, let's grab In-N-Out. She was like, whoa, you never asked for In-N-Out, right? I was like, because she loves In-N-Out, and for me, I'm like, you know, I crave more Carl's Jr. Right? How many guys like Carl's Jr.? Yes. You know why? Because there's more options. That's why. The famous star, the superstar, the bacon, Western bacon cheeseburger. Oh, my gosh. It's lovely. Plus, I used to work at Carl's Jr. when I was in high school, so maybe I have a bias there, right? But you know what? We don't have to agree on everything, right? We don't have to like all the same things. Let me give you another example. Some of you are Dodger fans. I know it's kind of sad. I'm sorry to bring it up, right? Some of us are Dodger fans. Maybe one or two of us are Angel fans, right? Some of us are Laker fans, or maybe one or two of us are Clipper fans. We don't have to agree and like the same teams and root for the same teams. It's not something for us to divide over or to fight about, right? How many guys are from L.A.? All right, some of you L.A. folks think that the L.A. is better than North O.C., right? Some of you North O.C. people believe that it's better than South O.C., South O.C. people, you believe, vice versa, right, that, that you're the best place. Some of you in San Bernardino County, how many, like, handful of you out there, okay? Um, two of you believe that you live in the best place in the world, right? And I know at least one person who thinks San Diego is better than any other place in the world. Amen, Tay? <laughs> right? Again, we can beg to differ, right? We don't have to agree on the same thing. How about in the context of the church? We all worship differently. We all have different styles of worship. Some of us like to sway. Some of us like to move around, right? Some of us like to, I don't know, dance or, you know, step or whatever it might be. Some of us would like to lift up our hands high and wide. Some of us like to lift it up low, right? Some of us like to close our eyes. Some of us just like to keep them open. Some of us even like to just stare at the screen and just do this all day, right? It's not, the importance is not about how we worship, but it's the fact that we worship. The point I'm getting across is this, church. Disagreement doesn't need to lead to quarreling and division. Amen? We don't all have to agree. He's not calling for uniformity here, right? We can agree to disagree when it comes to tertiary or what you might call secondary matters of the church or life, whatever it is. We don't need to divide and fight over those things. So again, Apostle Paul is not calling for uniformity. What he is calling for here is what? It's unity. It's unity in mind and purpose. What does that mean to be united in mind and purpose as a church? What he's calling for is that we be united to keeping Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, his will and his purpose, and the gospel message of Jesus Christ to be the priority, to be the main focus and the focal point of the church. Amen, church. Okay? 
What he's saying here is that, hey, I want you to be of the same mind. I want you to agree to be of the same mind and purpose. What he's calling for is we're united and say we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We put him first. We understand that everything is for him. We understand and we agree that we are to obey, that we are to submit under the will and the ways of Jesus Christ. And we believe and we agree and we know we're united in the fact that we're called to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen, church. I suck at this. I, I think I missed so many things here, right? Here, let me see. Okay, here we go. Unity, mind, and purpose. Here we go. But the problem of the Corinthian church was this. They took their focus off of Jesus Christ. They took their focus off of Jesus Christ and his will in the gospel. And they started focusing more on their preferences and their selves. Their preferences and their selves trumped in priority over Jesus and the gospel and his will. And this is what led the church in Corinth to quarrel and to divide. And in verse 12, Apostle Paul shares how they were divided. Check this out. Verse 12, he says, he says, now I mean this. This is how you're divided. That each one of you is saying, I am of Paul. I of Apollos. I am of Cephas. I am of Christ. This, this part really, like, baffled me. I was reading, like, ten different commentaries, and I still couldn't get everything. I'm like, well, what's going on here? All right, some scholars, they differ on if there are actual factions. As, as if, you know, they kind of differ on, oh, were there, like, certain parties that were behind these different leaders based on who they chose to align themselves with, right? And, of course, we need to understand that none of these leaders were aware of this happening. They were not behind this, right, if these factions existed. One thing that I kind of agree with some of the scholars that they agree with is the fact that these different leaders represent actually a certain personality or a style that the members preferred over others. And so the members of the church in Corinth, they were divided and they were quarreling over which leaders or personalities that they preferred in relation to the leader's gifting, their talent, their charisma, their style, and even their relationship with that leader. So let me give you some examples that I, I got off of my study and my reading, right? Some of those who preferred Apostle Paul may have been those who planted the church in Corinth with him, right? Those who were there from the beginning. They may have also preferred his style of preaching of the gospel, and it's very highly possible that these are the ones who were impacted by Paul's ministry. They received Christ under his ministry, and they were baptized under his ministry, right? So there's certain loyalty to Apostle Paul. Then there were those who preferred Apollos. They preferred his style of leadership, his style of preaching, his style of teaching over Apostle Paul's. You know, when we read chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, some deem Paul to be very unsophisticated. They considered him to be very plain in his delivery. But when we read chapter 18, it talks about Apollos. He's dynamic. He's an eloquent speaker. He's powerful. He's an apologist, right? He's got it. There's power in this guy. So pe people preferred Apollos over Apostle Paul. How about those who preferred Cephas? Cephas here is referring to Apostle Peter, right? It might be those who are Jewish Christians, who are more traditionalists, Right? They resonate more with Apostle Paul because he was sent to be the missionary to the Jews. Or simply put, they might have put more honor on Apostle Peter because he was in the inner circle of Jesus Christ. 
And based on the context of what is written in our passage, church, I think it's safe for us to speculate that members of the church were divided and quarreling based on who and what they thought was superior or better. You see, I can imagine the people in Corinth or the church in Corinth comparing, criticizing, disrespecting, and even speaking poorly about the leader and those who align with that leader, especially if they differed with their own preference or opinion. Let me give you some examples. Some of us here, we we prefer Francis Chan, right? His passion, his style of preaching. We might prefer it over John Piper, John MacArthur, Timothy Keller. Maybe some of us in this room, we prefer Greg Laurie. Right? He's the evangelist. He's the guy who makes things simple and practical. We prefer his way, a style of preaching and teaching over everyone else. Church, whichever preacher or style, whatever that we prefer more, there's no room for us to criticize and to talk poorly of the others that don't fit our preference. Amen, church? There's no room for that. There's no need for that. Now, this differs, guys, from calling out false teachers. This differs from calling out false doctrine, right? Those who are in error. Those are the things we need to do. But this is more about style. This is more about preference. There's no need to fight over or to quarrel over or talk poorly of people that don't fit our preference. Let me give you a personal example. When I was in college, I was really heavily impacted by this radio station called K-Wave 107.9. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but it's pretty much a station run by Calvary Chapel, right? I was so impacted by their ministry. I fell in love with it that every day I drove to school in Cal Long Beach and coming back home, I would always listen to that radio station. I fell in love with how they taught the Bible where they went book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I was so impacted, church, in such a way that I started to criticize and look down on other ministries that weren't following this model of preaching and teaching the Bible. But church, I have since repented of that attitude, right? Because those are the things we are not to, again, talk poorly, criticize, or quarrel or divide over. Let's bring it home, church. How about here at Rooftop? I know there's not many to choose from, right? It's just me, P. Scott, and now Chris Park. We got more competition, right? Now, what some of you may think or, or say, you know, I prefer Pastor Scott's leadership. I prefer his preaching and teaching over P. Tabs. Or maybe vice versa. Or maybe some of you are thinking, you know what, I I prefer Chris Park. I haven't heard him once yet, but I prefer him, (laughs) right? I prefer him over both of them. Let me take a step further. Maybe some of us were thinking, I prefer my youth pastor. I prefer my previous pastor over any of the pastors that are at Rooftop Church. Kind of hitting some things and notes here. Whatever the case may be, church, there's no need or room, again, for poor talk, disrespect, or criticism, which may lead to division in the church. Amen, church? Now, how does this divide the church? Let me just kind of give you kind of an example here. Usually, when we're not happy or we're disgruntled, we we tend to share with others. And if we're not careful, church, I'm not saying we can't share our struggles and our concerns and things like that. But if we're not careful, sometimes our sharing becomes an opportunity for us to convince others to think and feel the way we do about a particular 
person, whether we do it consciously or whether we do it subconsciously. If we're not careful when we share with others about a certain person, it doesn't have to be just leadership. It can be somebody in the church, whatever. We have to be careful that we're not doing it in a way to convince people to feel and think the same way we do, especially if our thought and feeling is not a good one towards that particular person. Amen, church? You see, church, we may be different, and we are different, but we're not in competition with one another. Rather, I believe that God is using us, and I hope and pray that God is using us to complement one another for the same purpose, which is to proclaim Jesus Christ, to glorify his name, and make an impact for the kingdom of God. You see, there's beauty, there's power in diversity, but not in division. There's beauty and power in diversity, but not in division. You know, I used to be of the camp where I would say, man, denominations, man, they're so divisive. But I've come to a point where I say, you know what, they're beautiful. Why? Because certain denominations reach certain people. They reach them in a different way than maybe one denomination can. Apart from those denominations or quote-unquote denominations that are cults, like, we'll leave them out. They're not part of this, right? I'm talking about more the evangelical mainline denominations in, in, around the world. We have the same purpose. We may be different in our, you know, some of our secondary practices and beliefs, but we have the same purpose. It's to love Jesus, it's to love others, it's to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what we are called to be united under. There's no reason for us to divide and to quarrel over secondary issues and matters of the church or life. Again, church, we are all different. We may all have different preferences. And there's no issue with us having preference or being different. Again, there's beauty and power in diversity. But it becomes an issue when we allow our preferences to become points of contention and division in the church. It becomes an issue when we prioritize our preferences and our wants and becomes a point of contention and division. If we're not careful, church, we can be divided over peripheral as well as preferential matters of the church. And this is precisely what happened in the church in Corinth. And Apostle Paul points this out. And what he says in the next verse is, uh, you know, this is so foolish. What you are dividing over, what you are calling about, you are acting foolish. And so in verse 13, he says this. He asks three questions. And by asking these questions, he's pointing out to them how absurd and foolish they are. He says, hey, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And we know the answers to these questions. What are they? Of course not. Of course not Christ is not divided, right? Of course not uh, Apostle Paul wasn't crucified or Apollos was crucified for them. Of course not they were not baptized in the name of Paulus or Apostle Paul. Again, he was showing them, revealing to them how absurd their divisiveness, divisiveness and their quarreling was. They were acting and behaving in a way that was contrary to their profession in Jesus Christ. 
You know, in reference to this Apostle Paul, you know, in chapter 3, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians, he calls them and he, and he says, you know what, you're acting like infants. And I love what the message translation, how the message translation states it. Apostle Paul says this in chapter 3, verse 3 to 4, 1 Corinthians, he says, As long as you grab for what makes you feel good or makes you look important, are you really much different than a babe at the breast, content only when everything's going your way? When one says, I'm on Paul's side, and another says, I'm for Apollos, aren't you being totally infantile? You know, one thing I observe about babies is this. They may be cute, but I think they're extremely selfish. Am I, am I, am I, do you agree with me, parents? Okay, I was like, it was silence. I was like, oh, shoot, maybe I said something real wrong, right? Okay, one thing I observe about babies, you can, hey, you can agree to disagree with me, Okay. It's the fact that they may be cute, but they can be extremely selfish. They cry and they throw tantrums, right, when they don't get what they want or they don't have it their way. But can we be honest? We expect that from babies. We expect that. Why? Because they're babies. They're infants. They don't know any better. But those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ... Jesus is expecting us to be different. Jesus is expecting us to be a bit more mature and not acting in that way. Also, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says in James chapter 4, verse 1, this is the message translation. He says, where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves simply put church we become quarrelsome and divisive when we don't get what we want or have it our own way we become divisive when we allow ourselves to become selfish and this is when we start behaving like infants again church the corinthian church were so focused on promoting their preference their way and their opinion that they lost sight of what was most important. When we look at the three questions, or even at the two questions, Apostle Paul is not only appointing, pointing out their absurdity and their foolishness, what he's pointing out is who or what they should be focusing on. Who or what they should be prioritizing in. If we were to ask the question, who was crucified for you, who would you say, church? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the one and only person who was crucified for our sins. Whose name will we baptize under? I know we can get technical under the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but what Apostle Paul is pointing to is God. It's, it's Jesus Christ. If that's the case, then our focus, our priority, our everything should be placed on Jesus and his will and the gospel message. Amen, church? Not upon, not upon the secondary preferences that we have. You see, church, it's crucial and it's important for you and I to make sure that the priority of this church and the priority of our lives is Jesus Christ. That he's the head, that he's the Lord, that he's the one who's leading us. And that we agree, again, on the purpose and the mindset of, you know what, we're called to submit under or submit to the way and the will of Jesus Christ, whatever he's calling us to. 
So with that said, as we go through the book of 1 Corinthians, Apostle Paul is going to tackle all these things. He's going to talk about all these issues and these concerns in, in the lens and through the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those of us who belong to Jesus, how are we supposed to look at a certain situation? How are we supposed to live our lives? How do we react in this, in this circumstance in our lives? How do we do that? Well, we need to prioritize and we need to focus on Jesus Christ. We need to see through his perspective. We need to be able to submit, say, God, what is your will? What is it that you want me to do? Even if it's not something that I want to do, even if it's something that I don't prefer, God, what is it that you want me to do? Because when I'm in fellowship with Jesus Christ, he is my Lord and my Savior, and I'm called to submit to the Amen Church. We need to bring the priority and the focus away from our preferences, away from, you know, what our own opinions and thoughts, and we need to place it upon Jesus Christ, his will and the gospel. And in closing, Apostle Paul, he reiterates this in verse 17. He says, God didn't send me out to collect the falling for myself, but to preach the message of what he has done. Collecting a following for him. Again, Apostle Paul is, is fixing his eyes on Jesus. He's following the call on his life to preach the gospel message. He isn't focusing on how can I get things done my way? How can I have what I want. What mattered most to Apostle Paul was Jesus Christ, his will, and the gospel. We read in Acts chapter 20, 24, Apostle Paul says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Church, can we have the same aim? Can we be united under the same passion and purpose in life? Can we put our energy, our words, our resources, our time, our passion, in fixing our eyes upon Jesus Christ, upon his will, and upon the gospel message of Jesus? Can we live out the gospel both you know, personally in our individual Christian lives, but also corporately as a church? You see, it's when you and I fix our eyes upon this very same mindset and purpose upon Jesus Christ, that our church as a rooftop, we will be united and we will stay united. We all know this, right? We don't need more infighting. We don't need more issues or, or opposition towards one another. We don't need to quarrel. We don't need to divide. There's already so much of that. You see, church, division is counteractive to what Jesus is calling us to do with the gospel message. You see, division weakens, and it also destroys both the church and its witness to the world. Jesus says in Mark chapter 3, verse 24, 25, this is the last scriptural reference. He says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. You know, it's, it's said that one religion that ends up shooting themselves in the foot is Christianity. Although I may not totally agree to that statement, it's somewhat true, right? Sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot as Christians and as a church when we start to divide and quarrel over preferential matters, secondary matters, rather than fo- fixing our eyes and focusing on Jesus Christ, his will, and the gospel. Do you know when Jesus prays for his disciples, right? He's getting ready to be crucified. You know what he prays for? 
One thing he prays for is that, Father, I pray that they may be one, that they may be united as you and I are one. As you and I are united, God, make them one. Make them united. Because even Jesus knows and he understands, he's letting us know, hey, a divided church has no power. It's only when we as a church stand united upon the purpose and the same mindset of Christ Jesus is when you and I will be powerful in our faith and effective in our witness for the gospel message. Again, unity is a characteristic of those who belong to Jesus Christ. And division is not. Amen, church. Can I have the worship team up here? I just want to give you a final charge. Um, You know, one thing I have a heart for whenever I, I get to travel and I have a time to visit another country, one thing that stirs my heart is, is people. You know, in Japan, it was awesome. It's great. But one thing that hit my heart was when I'm looking out, and you probably hear, hear me say this anytime I preach after I come back from travel, right? I, I, I look out, and there's people. They're smiling. They're having fun or whatever. And one question that pops into my mind is this, is that, or, or the thought comes to mind that, you know what? I may never see this person ever again. Meaning, this person may never put their faith in Jesus Christ. We may not be spending eternity together. And, and quite honestly, that hurts me. It hurts my heart. To think of the reality and the fact that everyone will not make it. That everyone will not put their faith in Christ. If that's the case, church, I want to do everything that I can not to disrupt or distort the gospel message because I'm so focused on myself, because I'm so focused about my preference apart from Jesus Christ, his will and the gospel message. Us as a church rooftop, the way that we become powerful as a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ is when you and I choose to be united, to say, Jesus, your Lord, we submit to your will and your ways and we live for the gospel message. So I give you one last charge, church. Let's be united. Let's not focus on the preferential matters, but let us choose and decide this day to love Jesus together. We may not be perfect. We may not agree on everything that goes on, but one thing we can agree on is, you know what, Jesus, we're living for you, and we've been called together as a church to do that, and we want to stay united. And the only way that you and I can be united and remain united is when we focus on Jesus, his will, and the gospel as a priority in our lives as well as the church. Amen? Can we just bow our heads real quick?